Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Welcome, everyone. It is Saturday, November the 26th, 2022. It is currently 1.56 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where unfortunately we have to return to a very unpleasant subject, a horrible subject, a horrifying subject, and one that I I struggle to even find words to talk about, but it must be talked about because the church has done such a horrible job in dealing with this subject. The church has done such a horrible job in protecting people and giving biblical advice and it's, it's, it's been an absolute mess. And I think that tells us a lot about the church, which we'll talk about here in just a second. So let, let me just tell you what we're going to be talking about again, just because some of you are listening on platforms where you don't see the title. There was a time I could just go live and just immediately assume everyone knows what I'm talking about because they could see the title of the live broadcast. But there are many of, many of you are listening on platforms where you don't see the title. So we're going to return once again to the very unpleasant, horrifying, horrible subject of women, abuse, and submission. Women, submission, and abuse. All right? And it's it's a horrible subject because you're talking about women being abused, but you're talking about the biblical concepts of submission, and you're talking about how the church sees this submission and this abuse, and in many cases handles itself in a way that doesn't protect the women who are being abused, or almost, in a sense, promotes a culture where abuse can occur, and it's covered up, and no one wants to deal with it, all right? So it's a very, very horrible subject. So we have been talking about, in fact, the exact name of this series is Women, Submission, and Abuse. Women, Submission, and Abuse is the exact title of this series. And it's just, uh, what do you do? What do you do? But here is what I, I guess I really, I guess what I really want to do for this episode, I really want to drive this point home because I think it's so very important. And this is, and I'm going to kind of build on this As we move forward in this episode, I think I'm going to build on this idea over and over and over again. All right. So I want you to really, really, really listen. I'm I'm trying to delay saying it because I want to make sure that all the people who are tuning in live can hear this because I think think this is something that every Christian, every church member, every pastor, every elder, every deacon, every Sunday school teacher, anyone involved in a church, we need to understand this because this is so very important. I think in many ways, based on the way the church preaches, based on the way Christians think, I think in most cases, the church is just not adequately prepared, not adequately equipped to deal with the reality of sin. They see Christianity constantly preaches an idea that goes something like this, that when you become a Christian, when you become saved, when you become saved, even though we say that we believe that we're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, even though we claim that we believe that we are not saved by an infused righteousness, but by an imputed righteousness, even though our doctrinal and theological statements may profess those truths, in practice, 
We really don't believe that. Even though we say, nope, it's by grace, it's by faith, it's not by works. Even though we make all of these statements, we turn around and then basically say, even though you were saved by an imputed righteousness, now that you are a Christian, practically speaking, in your life, you are a new creature, the old is gone, everything has become new. Well, if you tell everyone and your perception is that everyone sitting in your church, everyone sitting in the pew who's a believer, that practically speaking, they are a new creature. The old is completely gone and everything is new. Well, then you should expect then, well, sinless perfection. I mean, you should. Now, we w- Christians will say that they believe everyone's a new creature. The old is gone practically. But then they will turn around and say, we can't be perfect, which is a contradiction. But the reality is, this is kind of a the foundational way of thinking in most churches is that now practically we're new and the old is gone. Now, of course, there's so many problems with that because it cannot be true practically if you continue to believe we have a sinful nature, which obviously our actions demonstrate that we have a sinful nature. So we're not a new creature and every and the old is gone practically. That is true of us positionally. And when I look at the believers in the church, I see them through the perspective of their position, not the perspective of their practice. So I can see them as being perfectly righteous in Christ, not that they're perfectly righteous in practice. But when everyone, when Christians think this way, that that this is true of us practically, this is the way we are, well, then you can't, then then sin and, and failure is almost something that we try to ignore. We try to pretend it's not there because our way of thinking is, well, everyone here is a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. If you continue to think that, then you've got to pretend that everyone is more godly and more holy and more righteous than they really are. And so you almost want to not deal with sin or look the other direction or try to pretend that those problems aren't there or just immediately assume that anyone who does anything really bad is not a Christian and so they should just go away. We really don't know how to deal with it. And to add to that, not only is this idea just sold in the evangelical world that, hey, practically speaking, you're a new creature, the old is gone, everything is new. Just because we constantly sell that, we add to it. And we go on to say, well, now you have the Holy Spirit in you. And because you have the Holy Spirit in you, you now have the power, practically speaking, the power to say no to sin and yes to God. Well, once again, if you're saying that I'm a new creature, the old is completely gone and everything is new, and then you're telling me that I have supernatural power to say no to sin and yes to God, well, then the only conclusion you can come to in any meaningful, logical way is that Christians then should be perfect, should be without sin. So we sell this, sell this, sell this, sell this. Well, what does it create? It creates an idea in everyone's mind that we've got to pretend to be more righteous. It, it creates a, a almost a need for self-righteousness, that we've got to pretend, and we can't be honest with our sin and with our failure and with our struggle. We've got to put on this image because this is our doctrine that we're all basically perfect. Now, we will, yes, we'll give lip service and say, well, none of us can be perfect, which again makes no sense because if I'm a new creature, practically speaking, the old is completely gone and everything is new. And if I now have supernatural power to say no to sin and yes to God, I don't know why you wouldn't expect perfection should be the the rule, not the exception. It should be the norm. Any, Any deviation from that should be like shocking and we don't know what to do with it, which is exactly kind of what happens in the minds of Christians. We live in denial. 
when 2,000 years of church history has shown the church falling short, failing, falling short, sin, division, fighting, and just name the sin, it's inside the church, backbiting, gossip, slander, uh, all kinds of sexual sin, abuse, domestic abuse, children being abused, women being abused. You just, every kind of craziness you can imagine is just as much prevalent in the church, even though we want to deny it and say, no, 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 that's the world. Or our, our get out of free, you know, our get out of free jail card that Christians love to play. Oh, so-and-so is in the church and they did this. Boom. They're probably not saved. So-and-so is in the church and they did this. Boom. They're probably not saved. And that's, that's, and so then we all still feel like those are the, un, those are the false believers because us real believers where we're new creatures in Christ, the old is gone. And we have a power to say no to sin and a yes to God. So we create a, almost a alternative reality that does not correspond to the facts. And so the church is not equipped, is not prepared to deal with things like, I don't know, abuse, things to deal with, with the horrible sins that happen in the church. And so we stumble around and fall and we don't know what to do. I, I really believe that, that, that that's where so many of our problems begin. Because if we could be honest, like, hey, here's the deal. In Christ, I'm holy, I'm perfect, I'm righteous. I would say by an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. I am justified even though I am a sinner. My justification changes my position before God, but in practice, I still have a sinful nature. I still sin. I fall short. I think the wrong things, do the wrong things, desire the wrong things, want the wrong things. I am, I am still, I have a wicked, deceptive heart. It, it, it's just that if we could see that and say that, then we could be much more open and honest with the sin and the struggle, and I think be better prepared and equipped to deal with it. But when everyone is almost playing dress up, everyone's almost pre pretending to be something we're not, the church just is like, well, I, uh, what do we, oh no, what do we, oh no, what do we do? What, okay, we got to get rid of that person. We got we to gotta silence that person. We got to remove that person. And it, it no longer becomes a place of grace and redemption and restoration and reconciliation and hope. Um, it's not a place of honesty and transparency because we've got to put on an image. I, I really, I really believe that that is a a serious, serious, serious issue, right? And I think it very much relates to, well, all the stuff that happens in the church in regards to abuse and on and on and on. I just, I just think that I, I just don't think we can ignore ignore that. I just, I just don't think we can ignore that. And to ignore that, I think is detrimental, is detrimental to all of us. All right. I, I really, really, I really, I really do. I, I think it, I think it's a major, major problem. Right. So I'm just going to put that out there that, that that's a serious issue. Now it's really from that reality that I just described is kind of where this series begins. So what we're going to do in this episode, this is episode seven in our series on women and abuse and uh, submission in the church. What we're going to do is we're going to kind of, kind of return to the origins of all of this. I know it's weird that in part seven to really kind of like, okay, now we're going to go back to the origin story of the series, but in a roundabout way, we are. Now, we've talked about part of the origin uh, story for this series. It started on October the 27th at 5.49 p.m. Central Time. 
That's when the Roy's report posted the following story. Exclusive. Woman says John MacArthur's church taught her to stay with abusive husband. And it's a horrific story to read. And we've read the entire thing. We've worked through a lot of it. And we remember, I did not want to make it about MacArthur. I didn't want to make it about Grace Community Church. That's secondary. I wanted to take it and talk about women and abuse and and submission and all of the issues in the church that deals with this horrible, horrible, horrible problem, all right? And again, I think in many cases, we see these horrible stories that come out, and you're like, what was going on? Why did the church do that? Remember, we already have the account of MacArthur's church excommunicating a woman. She's excommunicated. Her husband goes to prison for sexually abusing her children And she is the one excommunicated, not the husband. The husband goes to prison. Grace Community Church still supported the husband, and they've never lifted her excommunication. And and why was she excommunicated? Because she wouldn't stay with her husband. So if you don't stay with your abuser, you get excommunicated, but the abuser doesn't. (laughs) Okay, that someone explain that to me. How do we work that out? The poor, But the reality is, see, even inside a church like Grace Community Church, even there, you have abuse and domestic violence occurring even in a church like that. I don't care the church. I don't care how wonderful it looks. I don't care how great the website looks. Inside that church are human beings who are sinners, and sin is taking place in their life. In many cases, the church is not equipped to do that, to handle it. So that's, that right there, all right, that right there is the, is the, the official origin of the story. Now, when I, I looked at this story and I thought, okay, what do I do with this? Do I talk about this? Do I not talk about it? And I think I may have mentioned, did one, one, one thing about it. I don't remember exactly all the steps, but then I received an email. I received an email on October the 28th at 10.50 p.m. And when I got this email, then I was like, we've got to turn this into a series. And so we're going to work a little bit through this series. But I want to just, I'm going to go back. I want to make sure I state this again. I personally believe the church is not properly equipped and prepared to really deal with sin because of a teaching that basically says everyone here basically shouldn't be sinning because we're in practice, new creatures, the old is gone, everything is new. We have supernatural power to say no to sin and yes to God. So sin should just be barely even present within the congregation. I mean, that teaching really would, I mean, people would say, no, 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 that's not what we're claiming. Look, I don't care what you're saying when you make those claims that everyone is a new creature, the old is gone and, and, and everything is new and that you have supernatural power to say no to sin and yes to God, then I'm sorry, that's the logical conclusion that teaching leads everyone to, to whether they want to say it or not, that, hey, basically there shouldn't be any sin in the church. So we then we pretend, we cover it up, and when it happens, we usually handle it in an incorrect manner. And church history, I think, proves that I'm right on this point. All right, so I, I'm going I'm to repeat that point. There's another point I'm going to make. There's another point I'm going to make. But I, I'll get to that one, all right? So then this all started because of the MacArthur story. And then the second thing that's really critical to this origin story is the following email. It begins, I've studied all the scriptures that say women should submit to men. 
Some specifically refer to husbands and wives, while others just refer to men and women in general, right? Because we're, we are actually called to submit ourselves one to another, right? And we talked about that in the last episode of this series. I've listened to a sermon that used many Bible verses to say women should never be an authority over men, whether it be in the church, government, the workplace, or in any situation. All right. Now, this is very, very important. Whenever we're dealing with issues within the world of doctrine, theology, and the Bible and the church. One of the most frustrating things, at times it's almost maddening. At times it's almost so discouraging that I just want to give up. But here's the reality. Now, for some Christians, it doesn't bother you that much. But for me, at times, it just makes me want to say, you know what? Throw the microphone away. Throw the computer away. Don't even worry about going back to church ever again. Because all of it is vanity of vanity of vanities. I know saying that, people will be say that I should not say that. But I'm going to be real here, okay? I'm going to be real. And here's why. Is it does the church has been around 2,000 years? We won't even go to before, quote unquote, the beginning of the church. 2,000 years of church history. And you know, the one thing that I've learned after studying and reading so much church history, and I love church history and love to teach it and struggle with it and try to figure it out. Here's what I've realized every pastor, every teacher, Every Christian, every church member who has ever existed in 2,000 years, including myself, we are all fallible. We're all sinners. And we constantly come to flawed conclusions. That's the sad reality. And here's another sad reality. There has been basically no agreement on anything in the history of Christianity. You can disagree with that, but I'm sorry. Christians have been arguing and fighting about every doctrine, every subject, every Bible verse. You, you can take any Bible verse and find thousands of different interpretations. You can find any doctrine, thousands of different arguments for and against. You, you can if, just name the subject and you will find Christians disagreeing on it. Anything related to salvation, there's disagreement all day, all day, all day. Uh, on do we understand salvation from a more reformed way, from a Pelagian way, a semi-Pelagian way, an Arminian way, all the an, August, uh, uh, an Augustinian way, all the different ways. Uh, you, you just name it, you name it, and it's just disagreement, disagreement, disagreement. There's no agreement on baptism. There's no agreement on Lord uh, Lord's Supper. There's no agreement on the church structure, whether we mean a denomination or independent, elders or no elders, past, pastor rule, congregational rule, mixed. There's just no agreement. It, women preaching, women not preaching. There's no agreement. Divorce, no divorce. There's no agreement. It's just never ending disagreement, 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 disagreement. And for every Bible verse 
that you come to one conclusion, you can find someone out there with a completely and radically different conclusion. And they will say that theirs is right and yours is wrong. It's literally... It's just maddening. Now, it's, 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 it's mad. Now, hear me out. It's maddening and it's frustrating when you're dealing, even, even, even when you're just dealing with, let's just call these more theoretical concepts, like a doctrine or an idea or a belief, like it's, it's more theoretical, right? I know it still has practical implications, but it's just more theoretical. It's already frustrating. It's already irritating, but it's even more frustrating and more irritation and more irritating when you take scripture that specifically, dramatically, directly impacts human beings. And then there is no agreement. And so you can say this and you can say this, what a woman can or can't do, what a woman should or shouldn't do. A woman's being beaten, what she can and can't do. A woman this, she can't do this, she can't do that, this. And everyone is speaking. And now you're talking about real people. You're, you may be still talking about theoretical concepts, but these theoretical concepts have profound impact on people. And yet, well, and so the people, in a sense, I hate to say it, they become the pawn on a chessboard, Right. They're there and, 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 and they're on the chessboard and they just become a piece that people are moving around and people are fighting against that person. No, 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 you can't do that. Nope. You can't do that. Nope. You can't do that. And all the so-called Bible experts, Bible teachers, pastors, and theologians are sitting there in the chessboard to saying, nope, you can't do that. Nope. You can't do that. You have to deal. Nope, 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 nope. And it's just like, you want to just knock the chessboard onto the floor and tell the people go, you're free because stop listening to everyone tell you what to do. I know that's not completely correct. Because but the, the, Christ has given to the church pastors and teachers and elders. The problem is all of those men are fallible. But when they start t- disagreeing on what people should do, it has a direct impact on people's lives. And so I think we have to remember that. So I, so if you see what's happening here, I've given you one very important principle that I think is is so connected to this issue. The church is just not really prepared to deal with sin. When sin enters into the situation, the church is not prepared because of our teaching. Secondly, sometimes I feel like that when the Christians are arguing over theology and doctrine and, and, and interpreting verses, that we forget that in many cases, we're not just dealing with theory. We're now dealing with real people who have names, who live lives, who feel pain, who struggle, who are trying to figure out what to do. Now, that just that just changes the whole dynamic. Now, now we're dealing with human beings, right? So we got the church's inability to really deal with sin because of its teaching. And then secondly, sometimes theology becomes, we almost forget that people are involved in these theological and, and biblical hermeneutical arguments. We're dealing with real people, right? So guess what? Here's a, here's a woman who wrote this, and she's trying to figure out what what does the Bible actually say about submission, and she has found and listened to a sermon that used Bible verses to say that a woman should never be in authority over men, whether it be in the church, the government, the workplace, or any situation, ever. Never. She can't be a boss. She can't be a manager. She can't be a supervisor. If she's in a workplace and they start moving her up, no, no, sorry, can't be in charge of men. Can't be, I can't be in charge of anything. I'm a woman. Can't do anything. Can't do anything. 
All I can do is, is, is stand in the kitchen, and that's it, and be quiet, and not say a word. Now, there, there are some churches and men who basically put forth said idea. And, and what's bizarre is many women will go along with that idea and try to live a life that way because they believe it's biblical. Well, let's just go, let's just stop right here and deal with this, all right? Because I'm assuming, I could be wrong, but I'm assuming most likely the verse that is being spoken of here is found in 1 Timothy. I'm assuming. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. I remember being in Germany. Being in Germany. Uh, standing in front of the dining facility. I think did we I think we called it the, did we call it the Chow Hall? Can't remember what we called it in the military, but I was I'm in I'm Swabrook in Germany. And I'm standing in front of the dining hall, waiting for it to open so we can go in and get food. I'm in the United States Air Force. And a discussion began about the chaplain on base who was female, female chaplain. And whether she should be a preacher, she shouldn't be a preacher. Now, the one person who was extremely charismatic and uh, obviously supported women being pastors, um, he he was making all of his arguments that basically his argument was God told her to be a pastor. We can't tell her no. So in other words, God talking to her trumps any biblical passage, right? God told her to be a pastor. We can't say we can't. Others were trying to quote scripture. And then when some people started trying to quote scripture about a woman, whether she can teach or preach or whatever may be the case, he came back and said, oh, okay, so if a woman can't have authority, well, then what are we doing in the military where we have women captains and colonels and, and commanders? Then we, we, we need to get out of the military. Uh, so, and you can't work anywhere where a woman is in authority because it's unbiblical. Well, then some were trying to sit there and trying to argue and everybody was just arguing and arguing and arguing. I just wanted everyone to stop because I just wanted to go in and get food. And I'm, I'm, I know what you're thinking. You should care more about doctrine and theology. Oh, I do care a lot about doctrine and theology. Obviously, I do have a podcast called Theology Central, right? You're listening to it. But I also know when these kind of group arguments begin, typically no one's listening. No one's listening. Everyone has their perspective and they're just arguing to try to win the debate. And it's like, it would be more beneficial for me just to go eat than even try to get involved in this no nonsense, just craziness. But immediately, I, I think the only thing I said is I, I just basically shook my head and like, people stop quoting scripture. That would be a, a clearly designed telling how the church should operate. And then taking that and trying to then enforce that on the culture, because to enforce it on the culture would basically mean then the culture has to be controlled by Christianity, which then becomes basically, I wouldn't have used the term at that time. I, I think we're trying to force, I think I, the word I use, so we're trying to enforce a Christian theocracy. Sorry, not for that, never will be for that, against that. Now, today I would probably use the word Christian nationalism, but I didn't know what other term to use at that time. And I was just like, this is crazy. No, we don't enforce that on everyone. This is, the Bible gives us instructions how the church should operate. So I'm assuming that this emailer is referring to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Actually, we'll go back to verse 9, 1 Timothy 2, 9. All right. In like manner, also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided, broid, broided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array. Now, let's stop right here. 
Now, just please note, there's disagreement on this verse right here. First, no one can agree on what's modest or not modest. You get 50 Christians in a room and show them pictures of women, and, and it can be it can be women and men with this watching the pictures, and they'd be like, nope, modest. Oh, no, that's modest. That's not modest. That's wrong. That's wrong. That You can, you can't, you can't. And nobody would even agree. So already we have a problem, right? Okay. Then we have with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Okay, so now what do we do? Now what do we do? Do we look at the women and say, I'm sorry, that's, that, that's costly apparel. You can't be wearing that. Does a, woman get abu- uh, uh, does a woman get rebuked for wearing costly array? What's costly? If her outfit costs $200, is that costly? If it costs $300, right? Um, what is this? Is this, uh, what if she's got gold or, per- or pearls on? Can, 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 does she get rebuked? So what some say, some will believe absolutely the woman should not have any jewelry. It should be very, very simple dresses. Uh, she should not cut her hair. And, and so you'll end up in kind of a Pentecostal interpretation. Others will like, no, 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 no. I know it says that, but it doesn't really mean that. What it means is the woman should be more concerned with her spiritual makeup. She should be more concerned with her, her attitudes and her, and her, and her internal desires than she is about her outward clothing. So then they come along and go, it, I know it says that, but it doesn't really mean that. So then we try to walk it back a little bit and go, it doesn't really mean that. It just means, hey, you can wear all of that stuff, but what's most important to you is your character and your attitude and your spirituality. Well, that sounds good, but I mean, I mean, it's like, so you can wear it, but it just can't be most important to you. Well, how do, how do you measure that? How do you measure that? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't, what do you do there? So so already we're in, we're, in, we're, in, we're in difficult waters. We're in difficult waters, right? Because this is presenting a standard. And remember, we're not given any kind of explanation. There's no narration. It's just like, here is what you can't do. Women, uh, adorn themselves and modest apparel. Make sure what you're wearing is modest. Um, uh, uh, make sure you, have no, you don't have broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So in other words, don't be focused on how you dress. Focus on godliness and good works. And we're like, and everyone will be like, amen. Now you preach this. Women, you'll have countless women in a congregation all wearing different things. So what are you supposed to do? Like, I mean, (laughs) that, okay, all the women stand up. Okay, you four, that's wrong. And you say, well, you can't do that. But what do you do? How do you, ex- how do you express it to, a, a, to a, a woman that says what you're wearing is right or not right? Uh, let's go to uh, 1 Timothy and a, and a different passage, and a different translation. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm in chapter 1, so it makes no sense. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse, uh, let's see here. What verse are we reading? Uh, we're, oh, we're going to go to verse nine. Okay, First Timothy chapter two, verse nine. Okay, or we'll go to verse. Uh, yeah, we'll go to verse nine. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with an elaborate hairstyle, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel. So you can't have an elaborate hairstyle. What's an elaborate hairstyle? What's elaborate? <laughs> what, what, 
you, you can just what all you can do is just cut the length like what like what you you can't do any styling whatsoever like what you can't and no gold no pearl like what what does that mean now this is very important and I am not doing this to to be uh trying to be difficult I'm just saying before we even get to the passage about the submission and everything else that that I think believe that this woman is referring to because of a sermon she heard which basically says a woman can't do anything anywhere well we we got to we got to figure that out nobody agrees not one church agrees on that and so typically the way it's just preached is yes Paul is saying this but what he really means is just focus on the inner more. So, hey, ladies, just make sure you're focusing on the more, on the internal more than you are the external. And then all the women were like, amen. And then everyone just lives their life. They, they still dress the way they want, wear what they want, do what they want. But but they all they got to say is, okay, I got to be more concerned about the internal. I, I don't even know what that, <laughs> I don't know what that, that even, how that even works. Hey, you can still do everything that seems to say you don't, you can't do, but. What what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Yeah, okay. Let's let's continue. Verse 11. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. Let the woman learn in silence and all subjection. Uh this is how another uh translation puts it. They put it this way. Um, let's see here. Um, a woman is to learn quietly with full submission. Now, this one says quietly. The other one says with and silence. Silence or quietly. Those are very different things, right? Silence just means you don't speak. Quietly just means... Hey, you're not trying to dominate. You're not trying to take over. You're just being respectful. Now, the word, let's let's look it up. Let's look it up here. For silence here is this. Hang on. All right, I'm going to go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. All right. Um, silence. Silence with all subjection. This is verse 11. I'm going to open up the interlinear. The word silence here is this. Here's silence. Strong's G 2271. Hesuchia. Hesuchia. Hey, I'm going to say it a little differently. Hesuchia, all right? Or Hesuchia, all right? It's the kind of that guttural kind of sound. Uh, Hesuchia. I, I want to say Hesekia, I think is how I was probably learned it, but I'm not saying I've learned it correctly. Hesekia, all right? Now, it's used four times. Three times it's silent, one time quietness. See why the, the translations could go either way. Strong's definition means stillness. All right, that's, uh, it means uh, quietness, silence. It seems to be like removing yourself uh, from bustle or language. The uh, quietness is the number one biblical usage. Description of the life of one who stays at home doing his own work and does not officially meddle with the affairs of others. Now, because it, because it can be used to talk about someone staying at home, some believe that this is a reference to 
the woman at home, not even inside the church, that at home, at home, she should learn from her husband quietly, silently. She should not uh, be, how could we say this, trying to dominate, trying to take over. She should just be listening to her husband. All right, so some remove this from the church and bring it to the home. And this would just be dealing with teaching. So in the times that the husband is doing the teaching, now the only problem with this, we, were already, <laughs> we already have the problem with the apparel because nobody knows what to do with that. I've, I've just seen nobody, I don't think anybody even wants to touch it with a 10-foot pole because nobody really knows what to do. And everyone just waters it down or someone goes to crazy extreme. No one really knows what to do. But we, we've got to, we've got to, we got to struggle with this one here, right? Hesahia leaves us with a lot to, to try to figure this out. Because it talks of, the, of someone staying home doing his own, his own work. I know some people want to say this is dealing with the home. So let's just try to place it in the home. Let's just say that what Paul is telling Timothy, tell the women that at home, they need to listen to their husbands and they need to learn in submission. Let's just say that's what he's saying. So let's leave it in the home. I I know I'm about to get myself in absolute trouble here and get destroyed here. But in most of my Christian life, most of my Christian life, I have seen that it's the women who do more of the reading, more of the studying, more of the learning. And in many cases, they could out teach their husband any day of the week, right? Like they, they know the doctrine, they know the theology, they know the church history, they're reading the theology books, they're reading. They're, I mean, it would be like, it would be, <laughs> their, their husbands would not even be able to, to, to do much teaching in any meaning, me, meaningful way. And I'm not trying to be mean in any way, shape, or form. Now, do you say, well, it doesn't matter. The husband may not have a clue, not have, not know anything, and, uh, but the, it's the husband's responsibility. Okay, you could say that it's the husband's responsibility, and then it would require a very great amount of humility for the woman to sit and listen. In many cases, the men aren't doing any teaching. They're not doing anything. So then what do you do there? Don't know. So some will say that this deals with the home. I, I have a hard time with that, and here's the reason I have a hard time with that. If you just look at the, if you look up any background to 1 Timothy, you'll, you'll read this, right? Here's just a basic. Paul wrote, and this is just from one Bible handbook. Paul wrote his dear friend Timothy to accomplish a number of objectives. First, he wished to encourage Timothy in his Christian growth. Secondly, he offered advice about being a better Christian leader. Third, he offered instructions about church organization, particularly congregational officers, because right here in the next chapter, 1 Timothy 3, um, is the qualifications for, uh, for bishops. So clearly, this is focused on giving instructions for the church. So I, I reject the idea that this is like, no, this is for the home. I know I've heard Christian apologists make an argument, this is for the Christian home. I think this is for the church. So how should we handle this? Well, we have a hard enough time with the apparel, right? the apparel. What, what do we, how do we look at that? Now, is this referring to how women should dress when they come to church or is this how women should dress anywhere? That's a good question. 
right? And that will back it up. Is that is that for women everywhere? Now, typically, this is applied that that's for women everywhere. That's for women everywhere. Now, if you make the dress for everywhere, then hermeneutically, when it says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, is then that for everywhere? Now, some will say, well, no, no, no. The woman learning in subjection, that's just the church. So is the dress code for church? Or is the dress code for dress code for all the time? Is the learning in silence for church or for all time? Well, some obviously tries to make it for all time. I look, I will know, I, I will say this. Clearly, 1 Timothy is written to Timothy trying to help him know how the church should operate. That's the purpose. Clearly. So at first and foremost, I don't know how you do the dress thing for church. Okay, I don't know exactly how that would work. But, but... I'm going to make it, I'm just, I'm going to be dogmatic. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, I think is referring to in the church. Now, when it says, let the woman learn in in silence and all subjection, I don't think that means the woman can't speak. Now, especially if you've ever listened to my preaching and my teaching, I'm always wanting people to speak. I teach in a way, a very Socratic way, where I'm trying to ask questions, trying to get people thinking, probably getting people to offer their opinions because I'm trying to lead them somewhere. I'm trying to, I I don't want to just tell them. I want to work through it with them. I see it that I'm with them together and we're struggling through these concepts. And you'll hear um, a very... A lot of the time that it's the women doing the answering the questions, all right? I think a lot of times, there are plenty of men who will speak up as well, but I think the key is, I think the key is, is that the woman, I don't think it doesn't mean the woman can't speak, it just there is a submission in it. It's not argumentative. It's not combative. I think I think that is the primary focus here is is like learning quiet with all subjection. There's a quietness of it. It's not a fighting. It's not an arguing. It's not trying to, to, to cause an issue. Verse 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now we got the, we got the silence part again. We got the silence part again. And the next verse, right? The next verse, we have the silence part again. Now, let's look at it. The silence part. We have this. Oh, wait. We have the exact same Greek word. We have this Greek word. Strong's G 2271. Hesachia. 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 Again, I, I want to say Hesachia, but Hesachia, Right? So it's the same Greek word. So we have the same idea here. Let the woman learn in quietness, right? Quietness with all subjection. I suffer a woman not to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. I think that this primarily, I don't even know how you can get around this. That applies to the church, to the church, to the church, to the church. To the church. Paul is writing Timothy in how to order the church. I do not think that you can take that and apply it to all walks of life. And this would be teaching spiritual things. This would be teaching biblical things. This would be teaching doctrine and theology and church history inside the church. The woman cannot teach the men, right? Um, 
or assur- assert authority over man, but to be in silence. That's the, I mean, unless you just say, look, here's your options. If this no longer applies, boom. Now, if you say that no longer applies, well, then 1 Timothy 3, that gives the qualifications, they no longer apply. Right? You can throw it all out. Um, or if you try to if you try to back it down, you're going to back it down or water it down so much that it's no longer going to be meaningful in any way. Or you have to say it has to have some impact. Others want to take it and just run and go, a woman can't speak anywhere. A woman can't have authority anywhere. That to me goes way beyond what, what is trying to occur here. Paul is not telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, make sure women don't speak and have authority anywhere. He's saying in the church. So I think it's definitely restricted to the church. And it says, now this is important, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now, we may not understand this. We may not even like it. But the woman is accused of being, or is Declared, not accused, declared to have been the one deceived. And it seems from on that basis, on that basis, the woman then is not allowed to teach in the church. I don't think you can take from that and say, well, women can't have authority or teach anywhere in society or that she can't teach other women. I think that that would be I think that that would go too far. Now, we still have the the whole dress part. Again, there's a part of me that just wants to say, that's got to be referring to church. That's got to be referring to church. She's to come to church not trying to show off her her appearance. She's to come to church in a godly manner, in a godly way. It makes more sense to me. If I try to apply that to all walks of life, then I got to do that with... uh, you see why I'm trying to look for hermeneutical consistency. If I'm going to say the teaching refers specifically to the church, right? Specifically to the church. Well, then that seems that would fit with the, with the dress, right? Some people like just part of it, they'll say this applies to every situation in the home, outside the home, in the church, outside the church. And then some of this, some will say, well, this only applies to the church. While others will say, this applies everywhere. So everywhere, a woman has to dress this way everywhere, and she basically can't talk. And I just don't, and, but, I, but that all violates what Paul is doing. Paul is telling Timothy, this is what you're instructing the people, how it should work in the church. And then immediately, again, I want you to see how immediately, immediately, it goes directly into the qualifications for a bishop. Immediately. You can't, no, hey, hey, ladies, inside the church, this is how you are to conduct yourself. Inside the church, this is what we need from you, right? This is what we need from you. We need your quietness. We need your submission. We need this from you inside the church. Now, here are the qualifications for those who will have the authority. The women can't be in the authority. And then the next, the very next chapter, here are the qualifications for those who are supposed to be in authority. I think chapter three clearly gives you the context. Now, sometimes I'm still, look, I don't understand it. 
I don't understand it because again, I, I, what I have seen many cases, it's the women who do the reading and the talking and, and their, their theological knowledge and understanding sometimes far surpasses that of men and men start talking. And you're like, what in the world? And they're combative and they're argumentative and they're, they're ego and they're arrogant where in many cases, a woman can talk about it and it, it comes across in a different way. I'm not saying in every case, not being dog, I'm making a dogmatic assertion, but I'm just saying. And I, I and again, I, I, I'm somewhat sensitive to this subject because the person who discipled me was definitely not my pastor and definitely not a deacon and definitely not a man. I went I went to a older, elder, an elderly woman's house after school and sat on her floor. She sat in her rocking chair with a Bible open and she taught doctrine, theology and church history. And she knew more doctrine and theology than anyone in that church, including all the men combined. That's a fact. That's a fact. Now, it wasn't happening inside the church. And clearly, I was a teenager. Now, some would say, well, you you should have been a man. Well, it probably should have been. You could argue it was a man, but where was the men? They were more worried about everything else other than doing any actual Bible study or reading or, or taking on any uh, responsibility. But see, I wasn't inside the church. It was in her home. And I, I just I just think that that's, I, I, I think that this is dealing with inside the church. I do. Now, I know that's going to cause some major arguments right there with the, with the women, but let me state this. Okay. Oh, there's so much more I wanted to do here, but we're almost out of time. I wanted to get through the whole email. I wanted to get through the whole email. I'll go back to the email and at least give you what. I'll put this in its whole context. Uh, she goes on to say, I've studied all the scriptures that say women should submit to men. Some specifically refer to husbands and wives, while others just refer to men and women in general. I listened to a sermon that used many Bible verses to say women should never be an authority over men, whether it be in the church, government, or the workplace, or any situation. In other words, this pastor said that the same reasons that women are not to be trusted to teach and lead in church are the same reasons that women should not be trusted to teach and lead in all walks of life. See, now I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back a little bit. I don't think this text is saying the woman can't be trusted. I don't think it has to do with trust. I think it's just saying, because this happened, here is how I'm designing it. I'm not saying it's because, hey, this woman was deceived, so all women are easily deceived. I don't think it's saying that. I'm just saying Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. I don't think it's saying, hey, all women are so easily deceived that they can never be teachers because men are just, I don't think there's any way to prove that women are more easily to be deceived than men. I think that that would be a ridiculous claim. So I don't think that that's, it's about trustworthiness. I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I'm, I'm going to disagree with that. I think that this is uh, giving us instruction for what should happen inside the church. Inside the church. And I think 1 Timothy as a whole is about that. So I would argue I mm, I want to say that the dress in 9 is inside the church. My my problem is verse is verse 8. Because verse 8 says I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. But see, it specifically states everywhere. But then it says, in like manner, now he turns the attention to the women. 
and talks about the women's uh, adornment and their behavior. But it's specific, but it definitely goes, I think, directly to the church. We're to pray for all men and we're to pray everywhere in 1 Timothy 2, kind of 1 through 8, right? Pray for all men and pray everywhere. Verse 9, though, I think directly comes back to the women, but it's specifically focusing in on what's to happen inside the church. Because I don't think, I, I don't think you're going to say that the women can't teach anywhere or everywhere. They have to be silent anywhere and everywhere and can't have authority anywhere and everywhere. Again, because the, the New Testament does not call for Christians trying to establish a theocracy or some kind of, no, this is telling us what to do inside the church. And again, my argument would be immediately after it says, who can't teach? And who can't be in authority, it then immediately tells us who can be. And that's not telling us who is to be in authority in the government or in, and, or in society, but inside the church. So I'm going to argue that 1 Timothy 2, verses 9 um, through 14 is speaking of women and their responsibility inside the church. That's that's where I'm going to put that. So the women should be submissive in their their life inside the church, and it should demonstrate itself in certain ways, mainly learning in a respectful, godly way. I, I don't believe in any way that prohibits or forbids them from singing or answering questions. Oh, I, I wouldn't be able to survive if the women in my church couldn't answer questions, I wouldn't know what to do, all right? I think that they should, but they do so in a godly and respectful way. And that this structure is based off the, the fall. And I don't think it means women are, 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 are weaker in, in their ability to understand or learn or, or, or process or even speak up in regards to theological situ- uh, topics. So I, I think any pastor who takes this and goes beyond that is doing damage. I think if we throw this out, we're in, we're, we're, we're in trouble. We throw this out. I don't know what we do. We throw this out. What happens to, I mean, basically, you're going to start throwing out almost everything in First Timothy. You're just going to just start throwing everything out. Where do you end up? So I'll end with this. I said that I think a major issue is that the church is not prepared to deal with sin because of the teaching that basically we basically don't sin anymore because we're Christians. And I think we never know what to do in these situations. Secondly, the church is not prepared, or let me put it this way. The, let me state it this way. The church, the church isn't prepared, and I gave you the reason why. Second, the church must recognize a very, very, very important reality. The Bible gives us God's law, God's standards. And God's standards are spoken of in a very dogmatic way. This is what you do. This is what you're not to do. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And it demands perfection. It demands a personal Practical, perfect, exact, internal, external, perpetual obedience, right? It, the, God's law demands perfection. It always does. So we have that law. 
And it would be great if everyone was living without sin because we could meet some of these perfect standards. But here's the reality. We, we say, here's the standard, but the church has to be prepared, right? That those standards are not going to be met. There's going to be failure. There's going to be shortcoming. And here's what happens. The Bible sometimes gives us, I'm going to, I've got a pencil right here. I'm going to use this as an illustration. The Bible, in a sense, gives us the pencil, right? So if I was to lay the pencil down and I could measure something with this pencil, I could use it maybe to draw a straight line. Here, this pencil, there's the rule. There's the rule. I wanted a ruler to do this, but just think of this pencil as a ruler. Here's the rule, right? We're, we measure ourselves by it, we're gonna, and we're going to find ourselves over and over and over and over falling short. But here's what happens. Because you and I live out this Christian life, we're sinners. We're sinners. So we come along... And we, in a sense, snap the ruler in two. We break the ruler. We just, we, because of our sin, because of our disobedience. And once that happens, the Bible is not great at coming along going, okay, 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 okay. Well, you're, you've committed sin here. You committed sin here. All right, this is what you can do. This is what you can't do. Here's the next step. Here's the next step. Here's the next step. No, 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 no. It just says, wait, no, here's the rule. Wait, you've sinned? Well, you're in sin. It doesn't say what you're to do. So we come along constantly to fill in those empty spaces, right? The next chapter in 1 Timothy 3 gives the qualifications of a pastor. Well, as soon as he breaks one of those qualifications, some will say he's permanently disqualified. He can never preach again. He's finished. Others will say, well, well, wait a minute. He may be temporarily disqualified. Are you telling me there's no forgiveness? There's no restoration? There's no reconciliation? It's perfection or nothing? Well, you can go through some of those standards in 1 Timothy 3, and I guarantee you in some way, shape, or form, whether internally or externally, every pastor has fallen short. And some people say, well, no, no, it's not if they they just mess up a little bit. So that, no, the point is once sin happens, we come in and we want to fill in the blank spaces. Okay, you've sinned. Boom, this is what you can, this is what you can't do. All right, because God's law says this. So we, it, the Bible is great by giving us all of these rules. A woman can't do this. A woman can't do this. A woman, can't, a woman must be submissive. A woman must do this. A woman must do this. A woman must do that. And in a perfect world, guess what? She would be submissive and perfect. And guess what? She'd be submitting to people who are perfect and godly and righteous and holy and husbands who love their wives as Christ loved the church. And it would be wonderful. Kumbaya, have a Coke and a smile. Everybody would be happy and wonderful. But the reality is sin is going to enter in. And once sin enters in, it blows everything up. And sometimes the church is left with, what do we do now? We don't know how to put together the pieces. On one hand, the church is not prepared to deal with sin or equipped to deal with sin because we're telling everyone that they should be, that everyone should basically be perfect. So we don't know what to do. So we pretend and we cover it up. Secondly, the Bible, we, the church has to recognize the Bible just gives the rules. It doesn't necessarily say, Here's what you do once the rules are broken. Oh, we, we, well, some people say, well, it tells you how to do church discipline. Yes, but church discipline can't be the go-to solution for everything. Oh, wait, you've committed a sin. Excommunicate. No, it, no, that's, that's got to be for, for a way down the road, but there's still lots of questions like, oh no, well, wait, so what's happening? Okay, what do we do here? Sometimes the scriptures doesn't give us that in a sense. All right, if sin happens here, here is solution A, solution B, solution C, solution D. It doesn't necessarily do that. And I know we didn't really get into that specific topic. I wanted to get more into it. But as far as 1 Timothy is concerned, it does give us the rules. And I think it gives us rules for inside the church. 
but it leaves us with lots of, well, what if and what ifs and what, how comes and what, what about. This is at least the standard that we should strive for. But I don't believe it's dealing with the culture. I believe it's dealing inside the church. I don't even believe it's necessarily dealing within the side the home. Some would disagree with this, but I think inside the home, in some cases, it would probably be better for the woman doing the teaching. But I'll leave it there. You can email me your thoughts, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I know we took kind of a weird detour for part seven. I know we took a weird detour, but um, I just thought we've been looking at some of, we've been using the the uh, news article to kind of do part one, two, three, four, five, and six. And I thought seven, we would go to the origin email that really sparked this entire series and start working through some of it. I know we may have raised more questions than answers, but that's the whole point of this series is to get us thinking about these things. I didn't want to come into this series like most and just say, here's the answer I wanted to look at because we're dealing with real people who struggle. I got another email today um, in regards to this subject. And some of these emails are for pe- from people who've suffered abuse, who, who, who the church handled their, their situations in horrific ways. And some of them are trying to figure it out. What, what, can I, can, what can or can I not do? Well, I think 1 Timothy deals with your behavior and actions inside the church. All right. Thanks for listening. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day, and we'll talk again soon. God bless.